Murphy. My wife reminded me to share something with you in your bulletin. It talks about the next week, next Sabbath afternoon, will be uh, Vespers and an afternoon at uh, the ranch, Hardy's Ranch. We just hope that you can come. We've done this before and we've had a good time of worshiping together, having a Vespers in the evening as the sun goes down, having a time for a fellowship meal and getting acquainted. If you can come, it gives you the directions how to get there, the address, and if you can come and are willing to uh, bring some food, check with my wife so she can write it down to make sure we all don't bring bread and have nothing else there. So we hope that you'll be able to make it as as well, too, and make it a, a day. We also want to share with you, I didn't put it in the bulletin, with Walter Fite, that will be coming to our church here on the 22nd, Sunday the 22nd, to be able to share a little something with us, a time where we can fellowship together with him with a fellowship meal. Uh, the Worldwide Church of God has agreed not to meet that day so that we could have the fellowship hall. And uh, just keep in mind, don't go out and spread it all over the countryside that he's coming here so that we have 10,000 people trying to crowd into our little church. Um, but we'd like to have you come. And remember, it's a fellowship meal. And uh, to be able to take a little time just to get acquainted with him before he has to fly back. We also need to remember uh, Tim Standish and, and Ron Cosé, who will be presenting their uh, program. But that's next week, isn't it? It's next week. And... Uh, the Lord spared the campus in that area from being hit with the, the tornado. And, and uh, wasn't that terrible devastation that, that took place? We need to keep them in our prayers. Also, Oakwood College was spared as well, too. So the Lord has blessed uh, in certain areas anyway. Let's just have a word of prayer and then we'll jump into our text for James Our Father, we just pray that your Spirit will lead and guide us right now as you speak through me. May we be drawn closer to you in our relationship. And may it make a difference within our lives, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. James makes an interesting statement. James chapter 5, verse 17 says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now, the New International Version says that Elijah was a man just like us. When I compare my life, I don't know about you, but when I compare my life with Elijah, in many aspects, we don't have anything in common. So how can they say something like that? Well, we've got to look at Elijah for a little bit. For example, back in those days, Ahab, King Ahab, was was the ruler of of Israel at that particular time. In fact, look what the Bible says about King Ahab in 1 Kings 16, verse 30 and 31. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Boy, I hope we never do evil in the sight of the Lord. More than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Ahab 
considered marrying Jezebel and worshiping Baal as a trivial thing that really didn't matter to others, and he thought it wouldn't matter to God. His wife Jezebel was quite a woman. What a choice he made in a bride. She has been described as a crafty, unscrupulous woman that comes from a long line of monstrous tyrants. Boy. Her father was a very cruel man who would not allow anything to get in his way of ruling others. In fact, he murdered his way to the throne by assassinating his own brothers. Jezebel wasn't just a bad woman. Some have described her as the missionary of the devil. After killing God's prophets, Jezebel and Ahab began to establish shrines and altars and temples devoted to Baal worship who was a created image and what they thought a God should look like. A God who doesn't speak, a God who doesn't perform miracles, just something that was nice to look at and to worship. But what was even worse than that, they instilled this pagan idolatry into the worship of the God of Israel. They blended the two. The Israelites didn't totally abandon their religion. They just mixed truth about God, the God of heaven, with the practices of Baal worship. To the majority of the people, they were like Ahab and Jezebel, thinking it's okay, it's a trivial matter that attracts outsiders and makes worship service more exciting and appealing to the masses. You ever heard that before? So from reading the stories in the Bible, we all know that Elijah was a man of great faith, and he not only had that faith, but he demonstrated miracles that went with it. For example, he prays, he tells the rulers of Israel that God is going to dry up the land, that there would be a drought. No more rain would take place. Elijah did not escape the drought himself, but God gave him food and waters to sustain his life. And when that ran out, he went into the city and the widow fed him. The widow Shunammite fed him with a meager little meal. But a miracle took place. Later on, Elijah heals her son. When her son dies, he goes to the woman. And when he prays, God brings back her dead son. And he picks that up that son and takes it to his mother. And then after that, we know that he calls for a face-off between the pagan God and the true God. The whole countryside showed up for this showdown. This prophet isn't like me. He's on fire. Unstoppable. Seemingly invincible. Listen to what he asked the people at this time. 
Keep in mind that they think that they're worshiping God because there's a mixture of paganism in with the true worship of the God of Israel. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. But the people answered Him not a word. That word falter that I had in bold letters and underlined actually means in the Hebrew to limp or hobble around as though one was crippled. One leg of theirs was the leg of faith. It was healthy because they believed in the God of Israel. But the other leg was crippled because they also worshipped Baal at the same time. They were crippled spiritually. Basically, Elijah was telling them that because of their crippledness, they needed to make a decision on what to do. Maybe at times our walk with God limps along because we're loyal to more than just Him. We come to church to worship, but we love to live a life like the rest of the world. We're not really God's peculiar people because we think that type of a lifestyle is boring. We think that we need a little excitement in our church and in our own lives. Elijah is waiting for some of them to take their stand with him, to make a decision. But when he asks them a question, what are you going to do, follow one or the other, no one steps forward in faith. What a disappointing altar call that must have been. Can you imagine how alone he felt? Now comes the big showdown. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 25 to 29. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. No trickery. So they took the bull which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating or he is busy or he is on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. Can't say he didn't have a sense of humor, huh? So they cried out and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, 
No one answered. No one paid attention. The score? Baal zero. Now it's time for God to step up. Elijah constructs the altar. We know the story. He constructs the altar for the Lord. And then he makes sure that the setting is prepared so that it would almost seem impossible that anything could happen. 1 Kings 18, 31 to 37. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench all around the altar, large enough to hold two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it a third time. So that the water ran all around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their back, their hearts back to you again. And he no more and finished the words. And in a split second, fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. Let me ask you something. Is there any of you here this morning that has the courage and faith of Elijah to do something like that? But the story doesn't end here. Even though Elijah's confidence and faith is what stands out on that mountaintop experience, he runs away, frightened by the threats of Jezebel. He runs to a cave. Our Faithful, miracle-working Elijah is hiding in a dark cave, which is where now God enters the picture again. 1 Kings 19, verse 9, There he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Maybe this is the side of Elijah that James refers to when he says that Elijah is just like we are. Hiding from God. Hiding in the darkest place that we can find. Full of fear. Trembling. Exhausted. 
questioning. Do you remember the question Elijah asked the Israelites back on the mountain? He says, how long will you falter between two opinions? Is it going to be God or is it going to be Baal? And do you remember that no one answered his question? Now God asks this runaway prophet a question. What are you doing here? Can you believe that God's asking Elijah, a prophet, what are you doing here? Did God ask him to hide in the cave? Did he ask him to start praying and saying, Lord, take my life, let me die? Was Elijah doing the will of God at this point? At least Elijah had enough courage to speak up and answer God. 1 Kings 19.10 So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Do you notice that the focus of attention is upon Elijah? I am the one that is zealous. I alone am left. They're seeking to take my life. Like Adam in the Garden of Eden after God started calling him and seeking him and Adam was hiding from God, Adam started making up excuses for what had happened. Elijah begins to make up excuses for his behavior. How many times have we faltered in our faith and hide? we actually start hiding from God? Not coming to church. And God asks you in this voice, says, what are you doing here? Do we start making excuses? Will any of our excuses hold any ounce of credibility before God? How many times have we seen great evidences of God working within our lives, answering our prayers, revealing Himself to us in supernatural ways, and yet we somehow tend to want to hide from Him when something goes wrong? Or we see something that we don't think is right. We hide in our lame excuses when God is trying to lead We're like the children of Israel. We become crippled in our spiritual life with fear and pity and the focus of attention starts going on. Me, myself, look what I have done. Look how I have been harmed. How in the world could Elijah lose faith in God? Well, the story gives us an answer. 1 Kings 19, verses 11 and 12. 
Then he said, God said to Elijah, Get out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Hebrew literally means in the quietness of absolutely nothing. First of all, God asked Elijah to come out of his hiding place. He was hiding in his pity, he was hiding in his fear, he was hiding in his depression. God says, come out. You can't hear me in the dark cave, your cave of fear, your cave of of depression. So he came out, but there was this great wind that took place. He saw the devastation, but God wasn't in what he saw. The earthquake came and he could feel the earthquake, but God wasn't in the feelings This fire happened and took place. He could feel the burning heat, but God wasn't in the fire. No, you see, God was in the quietness of absolutely nothing. And that's when Elijah heard the small, quiet voice of God. In the midst of silence, God's presence re-enters Elijah's world. Perhaps there's more to solitude than what we really give credit. For example, Moses and Abraham and David and Daniel and even Jesus had to go to remote areas in order to hear God's instructions. Do you ever wonder why? Let me throw out an example for you for just a moment. Have you ever seen or heard of ambient noise generators that are being sold today? These are little devices you can put by your bed and you turn it on just before you go to sleep and there's a constant noise such as the wind or ocean waves. I had to go in for some physical therapy and the therapist turned on before, before she started working on me the ocean waves that are going constantly. And you're wondering, what is this? The purpose of it is to block out other noises and thoughts and everything else to block out the negative thoughts within your mind. The noise it produces is called white noise. The constant sound, the purpose of it, tricks the brain, tricks it so that all other noises are blocked out even though they still might be there. You just can't distinguish them. It blocks out the thoughts that you might have within your brain. Did you know that the white noise of the world can muffle the voice of God? That noise can be problems that you're facing, negative thoughts, your work, constantly thinking about your work, your finances, 
The telephone constantly ringing. The radio, the television, computer games, iPods, iPads, and even other people. It blocks us from allowing God to speak to us with His still, quiet voice. The results, we begin to think about our failures and our fears and the threats and the loneliness as we run and hide from God because we think He will reject us or that He's already abandoned us. So what does God say? Get out of the cave. Get out of the dark thoughts. Go someplace where you can hear my voice. Go into the light and listen for his still, quiet voice. Did that demonstration, did that wake up Elijah? 1 Kings 19, verses 13 and 14. So it was when Elijah heard it, he heard the still, quiet voice of God. Look what he does. He wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah stepped out of the cave. He heard the voice, but he wrapped his face in order to continue hiding from God. It's kind of a silly way to hide from God, isn't it? To kind of wrap your head around You can't see him, but he can still see you. When my grandson was about two or three years of age, we used to go outside in Kansas and play hide-and-go-seek. We had some big trees at our place there. And he would always want me to hide my eyes first while he went and hid behind. He always went behind the same tree. Soon I would say, ready or not, here I come. And I would pretend to look for him. I had to pretend because when I'd say, ready or not, here I come, he'd always look around the tree to see where I was going. He thought he was hiding, but I could see him every time. You can't hide from God. So let's continue on with the story. Maybe Elijah and our lives aren't so different after all. It goes on and says, and he said, here's Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Haven't we heard that before? He's using the same excuses. The excuses that didn't stand before God the first time, we tend to use the same excuses Over and over and over again. Some habits are hard to break. So what's the cure? Is there a cure? Let me show you the cure in a nutshell. 1 Kings 19 verses 15 through 18. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king of Syria... Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as the king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mehoila, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It would almost sound like 
He's been discarded, doesn't it? It shall be that whosoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. There are three things that come from this passage. First of all, God says, get up and get, get going. Quit sitting around in your self-pity and your fear and your darkness. Get up and get going. Start walking with God. As we walk with God, we begin to discover the opportunities God has for us. But if we keep hiding from God, we miss those opportunities. And then we only increase our problems and we keep making excuses. So get up. Second of all, do what you can do for God. God gave Elijah specific tasks he was to do to others, even going so far as to name his predecessor. He was to anoint. He was to choose. Those are positive things to do for God. Do what needs to be done for God because you are His servant. Remember when Ron Close was here and he preached on Sabbath morning. He said to us, and I heard a lot of you answering, that was a great sermon and it was. He said to us, there is great joy that comes to us when we spiritually reach out to others. You remember what Elijah was doing? Oh, poor as me, I've been doing this and I've been doing that and they're going to kill me. Forget about you. Go out and reach out to others. When we're doing God's will, we're going to see Him working through us as it's reaching other people. You know what happens? Our problems begin to disappear. Then He wants you to know you're not alone. You're not alone. Remember, God says He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. You remember what God said to Adam in the Garden of Eden? It's not good for man to be alone. Elijah felt as if he were all alone, and that's why he ran in fear, forgetting all those blessings that God had performed in the past. God says there are others who believe what you believe. Sometimes these individuals are full of fear and are hiding just like you. They're waiting for someone to take a stand for God to encourage them to stand up in support with you. Here's what I like about this story. Elijah didn't stay in his cave. Elijah unwrapped his face. He got up. He accomplished the task that God had set before him. He saw that he was not alone. You see, Elisha, if you remember the story, kept following him. And Elijah says, I'm going across the river. You don't have to come. You can stay here. And Elisha says, no, I'm going with you. There were others that were following. There were actually people who believed in the way that he believed. And then... Another great miracle took place. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 11. Then it happened 
as they continued on, he and Elisha, and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. He was so afraid of death. And yet, when he began to listen to God, he, was, he never tasted death. The one thing he was afraid of. Maybe we should all be like Elijah. Maybe some points we do relate where we've been hiding from God. We've been looking at ourselves and, oh, woe is me. Maybe we've been so caught up in the world that we blocked out the still, quiet voice of God, keeping Him from speaking to us directly. Maybe we think that we can no longer go on because it seems like the weight, the spiritual weight is all on my shoulders. Maybe we need to get up and get out. Maybe we need to start doing His task, quit thinking about ourselves and start thinking about how we can reach out to others. Maybe we're not alone. Maybe... God has been with us all the time. We just have failed to see and hear Him. It's not the miracles that will make us ready for heaven. It's taking the time to listen to the still, small voice of God and the willingness to do His will. It's time to get out of the darkness of our world and to come into the light and to listen to the quiet voice of God and to take action by doing His will. If you're in agreement, please stand with me as we sing hymn number 287, softly and tenderly. Hymn number 287.
that you have not left us nor forsaken us. But we're sorry when we sometimes hide, hide from you. We allow the white noise of the world around us to block out our thoughts, our thinking, or even our trust. Sometimes we read things on the internet we think is true, when in reality it's not. It's not your calling. Sometimes we think that what we read is true when in reality the truth is really in your word, not in what others say. Sometimes we think we're the only ones that are alone in this world and we want to give up. There is no giving up. Not as far as you're concerned because you have a will for us to do something in this world. And you're going to work through us and do mighty great things if we're only willing to step out of the cave and listen to your voice. It's time that we come home. If there's someone here that may have left Jesus at some point, been hiding in your dark cave, and you want to come home, uplift your hand to him and let him see that he wants to reach down and grab you now. He wants you to come home. Accept his invitation. See what he's going to do. Let him speak to you. For he has promised that his voice will be there if we'll only let us. We only listen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice and your not giving up on us. Thank you for the promise of eternal life to those who believe and are willing to do His will. In Jesus' name, amen.